Good morning. If you could, if you could grab a seat, please. And we've got a few visitors with us today, which is great. Um, we've got the whole Curry Clan here, so we're going to need some more space. So if you could move in in the middle, if you're saying in the middle anywhere, it's uh, welcome to the Kilampas and the Curries and. Uh, anyone else who's visiting us from whatever part of Dundee, Scotland, or indeed the world, welcome to St. Peter's. Uh, my name is David. I'm the minister here, and I will explain things as we go along. We do give a, you a warm welcome, especially if you're not normally used to coming to church and you may be a little bit uh, concerned about what are we going to be asked to do, and the answer is... I hope that you'll be able to observe and listen to what God has to say and, and to join in uh, singing his praise as well. But other than that, you're not going to be asked to do anything. God's word says this, let us praise the name of God together with a song. Let us magnify him together with thanksgiving. With our mouths, let us give thanks to the Lord. Let's do that by standing to sing to God be the glory, great things he has done.
Please be seated and let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, how can we glorify you? You are great and you are glorious. You are light, you are life, you are love. You are beyond our understanding. And how can we as your creatures who are sinful come and give you glory? And yet, that is what you created us for. That is what we are here for. We are not here to worship ourselves. We are not here to worship other human beings. We are here to worship you, the living God, our creator. And so we come to give you glory. Glory for all that you have done and glory for all that you are. We know only a fraction of that. But what we know is sufficient and enough for us to bow our knees and bow our heads, to lift our hands and to glorify you. We bless you for your goodness. We bless you for your holiness and purity, that you cannot look upon evil. We bless you for your salvation, that you come to save us from our own evil and the evil of others. We bless you for your power, that no one can thwart your will. We bless you, our God, for your love, that it goes far deeper than we can imagine or grasp. We bless you for your word, for its purity and truth, and for your day that you have given to us to worship you, and for your people that you have called together. And we ask our God that as we meet this morning, that we would be conscious of your presence as we sit at your table. But we come, O God, as those who are uh, sinful people, and so we come to collectively confess our sin. You see the words on the screen? Let's say these words together. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. And hear these words of pardon also from the Psalms. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Amen. Now we're reading through, the. we read a, a New Testament uh, portion of Scripture and an Old Testament portion each morning. And we're going to read Acts chapter 5 from verse 17 to verse 42. And Stuart is going to read that for us. So the reading is from Acts chapter 5, verse 17. That can be found on page 1097 if you're using a church Bible. Page 1097. So Acts chapter 5, 
beginning at verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came in and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought to the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, rejoicing 
because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that is Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Jacintha, can you leave that last couple of verses up? I just want to say something to the boys and girls. Stay where you are, because there's so many of you today. I don't think I'd fit you all on the platform. Um, just before that, these men, right, the disciples, Jesus' disciples, they were beaten up. They were flogged. That's a really, I know that your parents don't hit you with a whip, but this was like really, really bad, a really bad whip. And they got, they got beaten up and they were told, right, we're going to let you go. And you don't say anything more about this man. And look what it says there. They left. They were happy because they'd been counted worthy of suffering. Most people don't feel happy when they get beaten up. And then look what happens. Day after day, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They were told, keep quiet. And they went out and they carried on telling people about Jesus. Well, later on, we're going to be looking at uh, some verses in the Bible when you're at Sunday school and uh, God telling his people not to be afraid because even though they suffer trouble, he's going to look after them. I was at a youth club once and there was a wee boy and to be honest, he was like a scrawny wee boy and there was a lot of uh, big boys who were, it was kind of a rough area and they were very, used to fight a lot. And this wee boy, he was quite happy about everything. And nobody ever touched him. He never got bullied. And I, I said to him one day, You're, how are you so cool? You know, why are you not afraid of anything? And he said, ah, he says, it's my dad. I said, who's your dad? He's the leader of the Tall Cross Skins. <laughs> Skinheads, you don't want to know about them. And I thought he was kidding me. And I spoke to the other leaders and they said, no, no, they're right. And I saw his dad, honestly, he was built like a tank. And he had this skinhead and the, the nose thing and everything. He was just, and I thought, no wonder none of these boys are going to touch him because you don't want to mess with that guy. And I'm not saying that God is like a leader of a skinhead gang, but I am saying this, that when you know God, then you don't have to worry about what other people will do to you because you know that God, your heavenly father, will look after you. And that's what we're going to look at later for the adults, but that's you giving a, a, a pre-taste of it. Now, we do have uh, communion today, so uh, after you've gone out, the older ones will come back in, but we'll send back for you after the, the sermon. Just a couple of the notices, if we can put those up. We, just, we scroll through them at the end, so if you miss any of them, you can see them all at the end. Uh, there is tea and coffee at the end, and I'll explain about that. Uh, as well. We're going to do it a wee bit differently today. Can I remind you also of the prayer meeting on Wednesday? You can come and have a, a coffee from seven o'clock onwards, and then we pray together from half past seven. And uh, next Sunday, Sinclair will be preaching in the morning, and I hope, uh, no, sorry, it'll be Harry who's actually preaching in the evening. So let's... Uh, before the children head away, we're going to stand and sing, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. And as we sing this, the collection uh, will be taken. Let's stand and sing this to God's praise.
in. Please be seated. The boys and girls can head through. If you're a visitor here, you're very welcome. The children to take them through the Sunday school and the creche. Now our Old Testament reading is from Psalm 105 and it's going to be verses 1 to 22 and I think Sheena is here, is she? Yes, thank you. Uh, The reading's on page 607 of the Church Bible, Psalm 105. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Abraham, his servant, O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word he commanded for a thousand generations the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. He called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now we're going to sing, uh, not that psalm, we're going to sing part of the psalm we're going to look at in a moment, Psalm 83. We're going to sing verses 1 to 4 and verses 13 to 18. The tune is Ebenezer and we sing this a cappella. Oh my God, do not keep silent, be not quiet, be not still. Let's stand and sing this and Colin will lead us in that.
Amen. Please be seated. Now this morning we're going to look at Psalm 83. If you've got a a few Bible, it's on page 594. And over many years I've been going through the Psalms at communion and we've just come to this one now. Let's imagine, you don't, perhaps you don't need to imagine, perhaps you are here for the, the first time and uh, let's put it this way, church is a strange experience. You don't often sing together unless you go to a football match and then if you're a Dundee United fan you probably don't sing at all. Um, <laughs> sorry. You have the Psalms of Lament for you, for you but... Um, you don't, you know, reading the Bible and, and, and this, this song that we're going to look at just now, Psalm 83, even the Psalm, uh, what we've just sung, the, it mentions people and places that we do not know. So why are we doing this? Because this is God's word and it's God's word to us today. Looking at a song that's 3,000 years old about people and places that are strange to us, it's still God's word to us today. Uh, when I looked over and thought about this during the week a lot, I just thought it's just so, it was so incredibly apposite for the church today. And even if you're not a Christian, I think this is God's word to you and I hope that you will benefit from it. Now, the Psalms, of course, many people, most people perhaps will still know Psalm 23, but Psalm 83 is not the most read Psalm in the world. So let's uh, just begin and look at some of the the first verses and we will uh, go through it fairly quickly and I'll try and explain it as we we go on. We'll read verses 1 to 4. O God, do not keep silent. Be not quiet, O God, be not still. Do not turn a deaf ear. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation so that Israel's name is remembered no more. You don't like opposition. Most of us don't. Most of us don't like aggro. Okay, there are one or two who kind of like, come on then, uh, and, and are aggressive in their personality. But in reality, the vast majority of us do not like opposition. You would not be looking forward to going to work tomorrow if there was hassle at work. You don't like opposition uh, if you're at school or um, you don't like opposition and trouble in your family and we don't like opposition and trouble within the church. We instinctively, most of us, shy away from that. And yet, one of the most extraordinary things about being a Christian, one of the promises that we do not hang on our wall is that it's difficult and there will be opposition John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, says Jesus, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. By the way, can I just say this? How how many Christians are bought into the myth, people like Jesus, they just don't like the church? That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says they hated me. What people like is an image of Jesus that they just invented. The cool Jesus who does whatever they think he should do their own personal Jesus, but they don't like the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus says, actually, the reason they hate you is not because of you. The reason they hate you is because of me. And that's really quite extraordinary. 
That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Again, notice, people say, oh, I like the teaching of Jesus. It's just the teaching of the church I don't like. It's nonsense. The church of Jesus Christ teaches what Jesus Christ teaches. And again, what people are doing is they're saying, well, Jesus, he's the guy that said, do not judge. So that's really, really cool. What they miss out is that a couple of verses later, he says, don't throw your pearls before swine. Well, that's not so cool. But people pick and mix. But the church doesn't do that. And Jesus says, they're going to hate you for that. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Hatred of God is instinctive within human beings, and that leads to hatred of his people. And none of us like being hated. It's horrible, isn't it? When, when you actually realize there are people who don't even, it's not that they just dislike you, but they actually hate you. They loathe you. It's a horrible, horrible feeling. Well, this song deals with that. This psalm deals with that. And first of all, that hatred is against God's people. God's enemies growl, they rear their heads, they conspire, they plot, they make a tumult, they're noisy. They want to wipe out God's people. They want to get rid of the virus of religion. I uh, read something just a couple of weeks ago, somebody writing and saying, I cannot tell you how much I hate you people. The... uh, poet Hugh McDermott. People often think this is some kind of witticism, and and it is, I suppose, if you think these kinds of things are funny. But he said, Scotland won't be free until the last minister is strangled with the last copy of the Sunday Post. Well, I'm a minister. I don't read the Sunday Post, but um, you know what he was trying to say? He was trying to say that there's, you know, it's the church and D.C. Thompson who created so much trouble and controlling things in Scotland. But behind that, There's a deep, deep, deep hatred of God. And they want to wipe out God's people. When Richard Dawkins wrote The God Delusion, he wrote about religion being a virus. And what needs to happen to a virus? It needs to be eradicated. And that's really what they're talking about, getting rid, absolutely rid of particularly Christianity from this land. We're the ones who are holding back progress. There's a deadly enmity. They did not receive Jesus. They hated Jesus and his people. Look at what James 4 says. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And and can I just say this to those Christians who say, look, we're going to win the world by being friendly with the world. No, you're not. You're not. It doesn't work that way. Now, let me just explain what the terms mean by world here and by, by enmity and love and so on. Bible's not teaching here that Christians form themselves into this we holy huddle and hate everyone else. It's not saying that we're not involved in society. It's not saying that we don't care. It's not saying that we don't love our neighbors. In fact, it says the opposite. But it says what Jesus is saying here is 
if you think that being friendly to a world that hates me is going to win them over, you are sadly mistaken. What wins people over is Christians who remain consistent in the, in the force of such hatred. My own personal instinctive reaction often when people are aggressive towards me or, or express hate towards me is to, is to hit them back. And it's not a good way to be. But I have witnessed and observed some extraordinary Christians whose, whose love for those who hate them has been the most powerful testimony and witness. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.14 all the way through into 7.1 says that. And he wasn't talking about marriage. He was talking about idolatry and false worship. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, he says? What fellowship can light have with darkness? There's a wrong kind of separation from the world where Christians can retreat into a holy huddle, where Christians can... can Forget that the sin is within us as well as out in the world. But there's a right kind of separation as well. And it's just simply this. When the world, when the powers that be in our society go against the word of God and they tell us to do that, we say, no, we can't. We have another Lord. We don't bow the knee to Caesar. People who are the wrong kind of separatists, I'd say, they don't connect, they don't evangelize, but then there are others who just compromise and who forget who the enemy is. I've just been reading a book about someone who, uh, a Christian leader in this country who's saying, look, I want to tell people how much we have in common. Well, I want to tell people that we have a lot in common because we're sinners, but we're, we're all screwed up, but I want to say that there's a different way. And here's, there's this powerful word in the midst of all this. Look at Psalm 83 and look at uh, the verse in verse 3. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. And cherish there is a really strong word. It's, it's as though you found something really, really special and you keep it hidden away. So let's say you've got something in your house. That you've got a lot of material things you don't care about too much, but there's something, you know, that's your, your grandmother's necklace that she gave to your mother on her wedding day that she gave to you on your wedding day. And you keep that and you don't leave it lying around the house. You keep it locked away because it's very precious to you. And that's the image that the psalmist is using here of God's people that we are those whom God cherishes. I think it's a very powerful image, and I think using the phrase, the apple of your eye, I think sometimes for us as Christians, it's really hard to see ourselves like that, but that is what God says that we are, because he has bought us with his own precious blood. I think those of us who are Christians in today's culture, Sinclair's series on Proverbs is very important because... uh, Last Sunday evening, if you didn't hear it, please go and listen to it online. He's talking about how Proverbs is guidelines for Christians to live in a world which is hostile to them and how we live with wisdom. And I think 
We need that wisdom because we need to love those who are opposed to us, but we need ourselves not to compromise in terms of the gospel. And I know in, in our society, people will say, well, look, Christians have got a persecution complex and, and they don't want to eliminate Christians and you're fine. Well, we are fine, but what they want to eliminate is Christianity from public life. I had a phone call at the end of last week from the Daily Mail. You don't really want phone calls from the Daily Mail because they usually want you to come on, comment on something that's ridiculous. And this, this was, and I didn't believe it. I actually, I was cycling and I had to stop my bike. I nearly fell off my bike. And I said to the journalist, you're joking me. And then I thought he was making it up. And then I asked him to send me the material through. And um, what it was is this, that Her Majesty's Government Inspector of Crematoriums. I bet you didn't know there was that. That's a great job. Her uh, Majesty's Government Inspector of Crematoriums has written a report. And probably because he had nothing else to write, has, has said that there are people who object to crosses in crematoriums, and get this, in memorial gardens, that they find them offensive and trigger. Now, it may be just two people, who knows, but anyway, this is written. And this was a thing that got me. Uh, this was what I couldn't believe. He's written to the crematorium saying, you may be in breach of the Equalities 2010 Act by having a cross in a crematorium or in a memorial garden. And you look and you say, oh, come on, that's not real. But I've seen the letter, it is real. You think, what are you doing? What is happening in our culture, which, you know, was Christian? And now, I, I, I mean, you can have all kinds of fun with that because it's against the Equalities Act. Well, we need to cut down steeples, especially if they've got crosses on them. But they're, they're taller than other buildings. It's not fair. It's not equal. We shouldn't have that. People shouldn't have to see that. People who've been triggered by religious stuff and so on. And that's, in a sense, that's almost a laughable thing. It is a laughable thing, but it's, it's indicative of an attitude which says, if you don't accept our values, we're going to squeeze those out. You've got to accept these values at work. You've got to accept these values in politics. You've got to accept. You say, well, wait a minute. Some of them I accept because I can see where they fit with Christianity, but others I can't accept. And that's opposition will come. Sometimes there'll be a real price to be paid for standing for Jesus. And so the psalmist says that. Look, they're conspiring against your people. They plot against those you cherish. They want the name of Israel to be remembered no more. And what do God's people do? They cry to him. Why do they cry to him? Isn't it interesting? Be not quiet, O God. Be not still. Because God appears to be silent. God appears not to be speaking and not to be hearing and not to be answering. So, when you feel that, when you feel that pressure, you cry to God. Incidentally, if you're not a Christian, who do you cry to when you feel pressure? Who do you ask to help? The Christian is always able to go to God. Then let's go on to verses 5 to 8. With one mind they plot together, they form an alliance against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, of Moab and the Hagrites, Byblos, Amnon and Amalek, Philistia with the people of Tyre, even Assyria has joined them to reinforce Lot's descendants. They're united against God. Just a, an aside, if God's enemies are united against him, then surely we in the church should be united together for him. Division within the church always creates so much harm. But they are allied against him. 
He will never leave us nor forsake us. That is true. But you know what God's primary concern with? It's what we sang at the beginning. His own glory. When you pass through the waters, Isaiah 43, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your seed. Why does God promise to take care of his people? Yes, because he loves us, but also because of the glory of his name. They mock God and they despise God and they say, can God save? And he, he's answering and saying, I am going to save. I am saving. And you've got this tiny nation of Israel and all the nations that are mentioned. I think they're mentioned particularly because it's not at one time. I think it's over a period of time in Israel's history, but they are nations from the north, the east, the south, and the west. Israel was surrounded. Gebal to the north, Ammon to the east, Amalek to the south, Philistia to the west, and then back to the north with Tyre. And the, the psalmist is looking back over the history of, of Israel, and he's saying, look, they, 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 they plot together like they've got one mind to wipe out this tiny nation, this smallest of nations. And Assyria, the dark power perhaps, behind it all. Now, how does that apply to us? I don't think Christians should be thinking there's some kind of anti-Christian plotters in Westminster or in the Scottish government or in the media who, who are doing all of this. I think it is the God of this world who stirs up the trouble. Second Corinthians 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. There's a blindness there. The hatred comes from blindness. Hatred often comes from prejudice, doesn't it? Why are people prejudiced against people of other races? You know, I've, I've heard people, for example, say things like, oh, I don't like Eastern Europeans. And they've never spoken to a Pole or Hungarian in their life. They've just got an image. They don't know. They're ignorant. And ignorance breeds prejudice. Well, it's the same reason that people are, are prejudiced or um, ignorant against God and against the gospel and against Jesus because they don't know. There's a blindness there. Last Sunday night, we had the privilege of having Gavin and Amy in our congregation telling us about work that they'd done in Burundi and um, their opticians. Now, when I grew up, uh, I was kind of had this image that doctors were superheroes and nurses were just a wee bit down from that. And then opticians. Who needs opticians? They're about as useful as dentists, um, but nicer. Uh, and So I wasn't very keen on dentists and I wasn't very keen on opticians. I kind of thought, oh, what's the point of an optician? You know, that just seems like a really cushy job. Just give people glasses. That's what you're doing. Um, until I went to university. And then I was, I wasn't exactly blind, but I couldn't see either. But I didn't know that I couldn't see until I went to an optician and they gave me tests and they showed me how I'd been walking around half blind most of the time and I thought I could see. And suddenly I realized opticians are pretty well the most important people in the world. They're really, you really need opticians. Get a good optician. Get someone who makes good shoes, a good optician and a good dentist now, by the way, as well. Um, these, are, these are really important things. But you know what's happening when you come to church is you've come to the divine opticians. 
Because the purpose of God's word is to help you see who God is and to help you see who you are and to help you see the great gap that there is between, between us. They're blind. Well, we need to recognize that, by the way. You know, the temptation for many Christians is this, is to be very afraid. And when you're afraid, you also become very defensive and very aggressive. And you, you look at what's going on in the world and you see what's going on. And, and sometimes you can react in that way. But I don't think we should. And let me cite somebody here who might be a bit of a surprise to you because you think, well, he was a very aggressive guy. No, he wasn't. John Calvin. Listen to this. Commenting on this, he says, Meanwhile, let us live at peace with all men as much as in us lies. And let us endeavor to practice uprightness in our whole deportment, our whole life. That we may be able to confidently appeal to God that when we suffer at the hands of men, we suffer wrongly. The Christian doesn't say, right, no suffering. The Christian says, don't let me suffer because of my own sin. If I'm going to suffer, let it be for Jesus' sake. So, there's this aggression against God's people. There's this aggression against God himself. And then verses 9 to 12, do to them as you did to Midian, as you did to Caesarea and Jabin at the river Kishon, who perished at Endor and became like dung on the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take possession of the pasture lands of God. And I want you to notice, especially verse 12, the pasture lands of God. And that was describing Israel, the land of Israel. And I just, I love that image. Because it's an image of this is the place where God cares for his people. This is the place where God looks after his people. This is where he feeds his flock. All the earth is his, but this land was his special treasure. And the Canaanites and the Amorites and all the others did all they could to take that land away. And so the psalmist remembers what's happened in the past. In Judges 7, Gideon and the 300 who overcame the three, the more than 100,000 Midianites. Or Sisera who fell by the hand of one woman. And again, if we apply that in our context and in our culture, we seem to gain ground and then we lose it. We are in a spiritual battle. But what we need to realize is this, is that God's church is God's special place, God's special people. It's where he feeds and where he pastures us. And that's why the church is so often under attack. And yet you should know that you can come here, you can be part of this fellowship as a Christian and be fed from God. And so the devil will do his utmost. He's not going to bother with a church that doesn't feed God's people. But he is going to bother with us. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will complete his work. God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So you see, as a Christian, when you're faced with opposition, one, you know it's coming because Jesus told you. Two, you know ultimately it can't win. And three, you know that you're in God's hands, that you are held by God, even in the midst of the most severe trouble. And this is God's answer. And I just love this. Make them like tumbleweed, my God, like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes the forest or a flame sets the mountains ablaze. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame, Lord, so that they will seek your name. 
May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. Let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the most high over all the earth. You feel a wee bit uncomfortable? If you were thinking at all when you were singing, make them like tumbleweed that the fire blazes through. You've seen the, the fires in Greece and now in California. And those of you who've never experienced this, you wonder, well, if there was a fire, why don't people just get away? Fire doesn't move that fast. Yes, it does. I've been in a field that I'd set on fire deliberately because it was my job to burn stubble and straw. And uh, at one point, I ran for my life because the fire was going 30, 40 miles an hour. And, And I think most of us who haven't experienced that, you think, well, why didn't people just go away? It's a fire. You know, we've seen fires. No, you haven't seen fire like that. And that's what this is talking about, these kind of natural fires. And you, you think, well, why, why would we wish that upon people? I thought we were supposed to love our enemies. Well, what we're being taught here are the symbols of God's own power to scatter, to destroy, to disorientate and disappoint. And the psalmist is asking, God... Break the arm of the wicked one so they can't do wickedness anymore. I'm not afraid of what the UK government or the Scottish government or the United Nations or the EU or whatever will do because I know who God is. The fear I have, to be honest, is for them because they go against God and God sits in heaven and laughs and you see the mess that human beings make when we go against God. But God does scatter and God does wound in order to gather and in order to heal. Look at verse 16. So that they will seek your name. It's, it's the conversion of those who oppose. It's not the destruction that's being sought. It's dismay leading to shame, leading to seeking God. They are brought to nothing so that they can be brought to God. And I don't know if you've ever prayed that. But sometimes I find myself in that position where I'm praying, Lord, stop them. Stop them. And if you have to bring them low in order to bring them to yourself, then let it be. There's a story uh, that, of um, the preacher Chrysostom and a slave called Eutropius who rose to become a ruler in Constantinople. He became the consul of Constantinople. And he was a very rich, very powerful man. And he hated Chrysostom because Chrysostom was in the cathedral preaching against wealth and power and how it corrupted the whole nation. And so he passed, Eutropius passed this law that forbade people from seeking sanctuary in churches because his enemies were coming into the church and claiming sanctuary, and it was a law that allowed that. And Eutropius went against that. In fact, he changed the law. And then he himself fell from power. And one day Chrysostom came into the church, and he pulled aside, there was a, a, a curtain beside a um, communion table or an altar, and he pulled that aside, and there was Eutropius shuddering, holding on to the pillar, seeking sanctuary against his own law. And uh, Chrysostom, I absolutely love this story. What Chrysostom did, he said, right, I know you persecuted, I know we'll give you sanctuary. And the soldiers came in, and they went to take him away. They said, it's the law, he can't have sanctuary in the church. And uh, Chrysostom said, no, I'm here. you're not taking him. I'm going to the emperor. You are not taking him. And he kept him in the church. He wasn't allowed outside the church. And then imagine this. One Sunday, imagine that we had a, a curtain up here and the congregation were in and the following Sunday and Chrysostom 
was telling the people, often what he did tell the people, look, riches and honor and glory and power will not save you. And then he pulled the curtain apart and there was the ruler of the city cowering in fear. And he pointed it to him and he said, this is what happens, but God shows mercy. He said to them, the time of your departure is uncertain, the tenure of your possessions insecure, There are innumerable cliffs and billows on every side of you. Why do you rave about shadows? Why desert the reality and run after shadows? Don't despair at people who are rich and powerful or people who make the laws or people who go against God who are in those positions because they're chasing after shadows. They don't know the reality. And so we ask God not to be quiet in verse 1. And in verse 18, we ask that God would speak to reveal himself. Let them know who you are. There's an emperor, Julian the Apostate. Sorry, Julian. um, There was an emperor, Julian the Apostate. And he is reported to have said on his deathbed, he he tried to eradicate Christianity from the Roman Empire. And he, he was brutal. And on his deathbed, he looked up and he said, Thou hast conquered, O Galilean. The Galilean peasant, Jesus, had conquered the great Roman Empire, not through troops, not through military power, not through politics, but just through the gospel. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess him, King of glory now. Revelation 1.17, John says this, When I saw him, talking about Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Our government may hold the keys to wealth. They may hold the keys to the borders. They may... People may hold the keys to your job, but Jesus holds the keys to death and hell. He's by far the more powerful. Those of us who are Christians and who are aware of the battle that we are in, we must not be afraid. We must remember that the Galilean has conquered. We must remember that Jesus shall reign where'er the sun. We must not hate in response to hatred. We must show people the love of Christ, but never, ever, it's not showing people the love of Christ, compromising on the teaching of Christ, but we show people the love of Christ, knowing that one day all this will be sorted. I may be getting old, but uh, I watched an old film last night because I'm reading a book about Arnhem. Um, Anthony Beaver's account of it which is brilliant so I just thought I'd go and see A Bridge Too Far again and if you haven't seen that film one of the greatest war films ever made and you know, I, I do remember watching it as a, as a kind of teenager going oh yeah great and you know give it to them and then you know just but watching it this time I was I, there were things that I'd missed before and just the sheer awfulness of war never glory in war just the blood and the tears and the children who suffer from war. And you do, you you say, Lord, how long, O Lord, how long? How can such evil exist in this world? And God says, 
With one mind they plot. But I will bring this to an end and I will bring my people to be with me. And I I think that we need that assurance. We need that understanding that we are the people whom God cherishes and nothing can prevail against his church. um, We've been going through Romans 8 and we'll go back to Romans 8 tonight if you were expecting it this morning. But we will come to that section in Romans 8 eventually which talks about nothing being able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's a lovely verse, but it's a deep and profound verse when, as some of you know, some of our friends of this congregation, I think of two minister friends who've been told they've got cancer. I hate cancer. <laughs> I just hate it. Um, and, and just others' friends have been told that they're probably not going to live long. And you, again, you just say, how long, O oh Lord, how long? And for me, it's wonderful to talk to Christian friends who know that they've not got long to live barring a miracle. And yet, they have the attitude of this psalmist that God cherishes them and that God is keeping them and will even defeat the last enemy that is death because they do not fear its consequences. Well, I ask just simply where you are with that. When we take communion, I want you to remember the words of Jesus. Make them ashamed and disgraced. John 16, 33, Jesus says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Not I will, not I will, I have. Do you understand that? It's not maybe in the future, Jesus will sort it out. I have overcome this world, says Jesus. And when you remember that and you look at Jesus, you can walk on the water. When you forget that and look at the world, you will sink. May our eyes always be fixed on Christ. Let's pray. Bless your word, O Lord, to us. It's a psalm that we've looked at that we don't often read. Help us as we see how your enemies are astir, how your foes rear their heads. Help us to remember that we are your people, that we are in your pasture lands, that we are the apple of your eye, that those who believe and trust in you know that you alone are the Lord God, the most high of all the earth. And we do pray that you would bring to shame those who would oppose you, not that they would be destroyed, but that they would bow their heads, bow their knees, and come to acknowledge you as Lord and Savior, that they may know that you alone are King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we ask this for your glory and for our sake. In your name, amen. Before we take communion, we're going to sing the song, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. And if uh, someone can go through and let the uh, older children know. And also, because there's so many people, we will serve communion upstairs, so you don't have to come downstairs. Uh, I'll explain how all that will work after we've sung this. So let's sing, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. We'll stand to sing.
please be seated. Now let me explain what the communion is and how we do it. It's a, a celebration meal, a thanksgiving that Jesus gave to us to remind us of what he'd done for us, his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. But it is also a, a meal. It's not just a memorial. He feeds us as his spirit is present with us as we've received his word. And therefore, this meal is for all who are believers and who trust in Jesus, who've been baptized into his church. If you are not yet a Christian, I'd ask you as the bread and the wine is passed, just pass it on. Please do not take it. It's not for you this time, though I hope that this will be the last time that it's not for you. Um, What will happen is I'll I'll read the warrant in a moment, then I'll pray. Then um, the four elders will come and take the bread and they'll pass it along downstairs. Then there's two elders who will be at the back and uh, uh, you can, the four elders can serve them as well. Then they'll go upstairs and serve any of you upstairs who would like to have the bread. Um, Meanwhile, the four elders downstairs will come and take the wine and serve that and then the same thing will happen again. And once these elders are finished, if you can come and sit down at this side, I think that will be fine. Uh, I'll serve you there. So um, let's read the warrant that we have in Scripture. I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we bless you that in the midst of a world of storms, outside and within, with all the fears that we have, the opposition to your gospel, the confusion and the hurt and the pain, the broken relationships, the sick bodies, the fact that we are all dying, yet we also can come under the shelter of your wings. We can sit at your table and know that we have eternal life. Know that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. Know that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And grant our God that we would heed the words of Jesus, that we would not be overcome by troubles of this world, but we would take heart because we know that you have overcome the world. We thank you that the bread and wine speak of this overcoming. Feed us from it. Forgive us. We ask it in your name. Amen. Now, as the wine is still being passed around upstairs, I'm going to pray and give thanks. You can carry on while we do that. We ask, O oh Lord, again, or we come again and give you thanks that we are not ashamed and that we are not disgraced because we know your name, because you have revealed it. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his deep, deep love. We thank you that it's a love that covers every sin. And we thank you, O Lord, that you have called us to be part of a church which conquers not through violence and hatred, but through love and whose sword is the word of God. So bless each one of us here as we've eaten and drunk together in memory of you, but also expressing our unity with one another and with all your people throughout all the ages as part of your body. And we also, O God, 
Look forward to that day when there should be no more war or hatred or division or bitterness or anger or sickness or disease. We long for it. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen. Now I'm going to ask uh, Margaret Hogg if she'll come up to the front. Uh, Margaret has become a member with us uh, this morning, and Margaret is a senior nurse practitioner, or was, um, and from Northern Ireland. And for those of you from Northern Ireland, she's lived most of her life in Dundee, so watch out. You come here, we keep you. <laughs> but Margaret, it's a, a joy to have you with us, and I'm, we'll give you the right hand of fellowship, and I'll ask the elders to come up and do the same as well, please. Any of the elders present? Just be thankful it wasn't the holy kiss <laughs> from all of them. If you don't know Margaret, just take time to get to know her. She's, forgive me for saying this, but she's absolutely lovely. Um, as are all the Lord's people once he's worked on us. We are going to finish by singing, as we often do at a communion, Psalm 24, um, which is a song of, again, the triumphant King Jesus. Uh, he always is. Uh, the tune will be St. George's Edinburgh and Colin will lead us. We'll stand to sing and then please remain standing for the benediction. You ancient gates, lift up your heads. Let's sing this to God's praise.
And now may Jesus, who satisfies our longings like nothing else can do, who is more pleasant than all the fancies of our golden dreams, may that Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.